At Stats and Stories, we're lucky to have listeners who put up with John's bad jokes and our general shenanigans. In fact, you've listened to 199 discussions of the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. To mark our 100th episode, we asked you to submit statistical headlines and a haiku one. For our 200th, we asked you to submit your best statistical memes on Twitter using the meme median mode hashtag. And this time, those that rose to the top were actually memes. Today, we're talking to the creators of our top two. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me as panelist, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, Richard Campbell is away. Our first guest today is Nika Kroll. Kroll is a statistical researcher with Statistics Netherlands. She also submitted a stats meme that frankly caused both John and I to actually literally laugh out loud when we saw it. Nika, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rosemary, and uh, congratulations on 200 episodes. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Great to see you, Nika. Yeah, great to see uh, both of you. Yeah, so the meme that I uh, submitted was actually I first saw it with when it was about 2020 in general. You know, I mm-hmm. think we all have uh, some feelings about the year 2020. <laughs> and it is yeah. from the Australian psychological horror film, The Baba Duke. And the template is like a mother, she's driving, and then she has a six year old son in, in the back seat. And she's like screaming to her son in the back seat, why can't you just be normal? And then the boy in the back seat is like, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I think that's like a setting that most of us who have shared a car once with like a six year old, uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I added to those, to like the mom, I added in those big bold meme letters, statisticians be like, and then to the boy I added like the data. So what you end up with is like statisticians be like, why can't you just be normal? And then the data is like, You know, I, I I love how you're telling this. I mean, I wish you know we we I hope we could. It would be great to be able to go go vid- with the video here because the drama, <laughs> the the emotion that you bring to this. I mean, I I I think that the you know you have a career in in this on the stage, Ninka. I mean, it's a. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I if I ever consider a career switch. <laughs> I, it just resonated with me so much when I saw it because there are so many times when I've been working with data and I'm just like, what the hell happened here? Why did this turn out that way? And as soon as I saw it, I was just like, yes, this is this is my experience. <laughs> Crunching numbers so many times. I, you know, and I found myself thinking about the, you know, the, uh, you know, any intro stack class, <laughs> you know, if they were, you know, the students, you know, what what they might think is, you know, they they might have the, they might believe that that the the, the mother's perspective from the front seat is true for all that's done in in the field and in the discipline. So that also tickled, I tickled me when I when I saw that. Go ahead, sorry, Rosemary. I know I was just ask I was going to ask if your if your meme submission was motivated by any particular problem that you were dealing with at the time? Uh, well, I, I do I do believe that, you know, especially when you're coding and, and then and, and everything in, in practice is so is is so 
different from like my nice little mm-hmm. theory and like the formulas and then uh, especially I think with uh, the prognosis of like the amount of people and the amount of deaths and, and things like that immigration and then so you we have all these nice nice formulas and then you have the data <laughs> like in the data it's just it, <laughs> You just don't know, right? You you don't know what's what's gonna happen with with the amount of people, and anything can happen, and and uh, the the real world just frustratingly doesn't always behave like like our nice nice formulas and theories. <laughs> well, that's a that's a great segue to the question that I had is so so other than producing brilliant memes, I mean, do you do other things that you know at work? I work. <laughs> 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 so, so I, I, no, I, what I was going to ask you is, is, what kind of problems do you typically work on? You know, and where you where you're based. So I'm like I'm at Statistics Netherlands, so that's the uh, national statistical offices of the country of the Netherlands. Um, and within that, I'm like a, a consultant for one of our big divisions, so the social, economic, demographic part. So it's great because I get to visit other teams um, that have like specific uh, problems and issues and and work with them on that. So, yeah, and that's that's always what attracts me to statistics in the first place. I hear that the problem sets that you get to work on are so diverse and that you, you know, you get to play in everyone's backyard, as, as they always say. Um, so that's that's what I do. So it could be like uh, something about like grass or something about like healthcare, something about like debts, you know, which, which was really relevant in the in the COVID times. And uh, so whenever something is like extra relevant, there's a higher chance that that I get to work on that. So it's it's a really great position to have. And then I mainly. Um, program in, in R and, and Python. And, uh. So one of the things that we talk a lot about on this program is, is kind of communicating concepts. And, you know, and I know that within your, your organization, I mean, there's a, a, a major part of it is communicating statistical results to the general public. What, what, kind, of, uh, what kind of work do you, do you, have you been involved with in that regard? I mean, what kind of have you been involved with any of those types of communication efforts and producing for a general audience? And what are some of the things that you enjoy about that, or challenges you f- you find in that? Well, I think when I when I started working at, at Statistics Netherlands, which was uh, in 2014, communicating statistics was like a really big issue. That was uh, the the topic that that we shouldn't like hide our numbers in those those lively reports, you know, any longer with all those really specific uh, definitions and and uh, that we should make it more more accessible. So I think that that has been a, a continuous uh, topic, yeah, during during my my time here. That that sort of culture shift, you know, from from going from you know. We, this sort of academic mindset to like, wh- how would society benefit most from our numbers? How how can we make them more accessible? That yeah, that that is a continuous conversation. Very good, thank you, Ninka. Before we wrap up, I guess I'm just wondering how you got interested in in working in statistics in the first place. It's something we ask a lot of our guests, but given sort of what you seem to be working on at Statistics Netherlands, I wondered if you could talk, you know, very quickly about sort of what drew you to this particular field. Um, so I did an undergraduate degree in, in psychology. 
and but I did like I chose like all those maths and uh, uh, physics subjects in in high school. But then I I chose to study psychology, and during that I was like, wow, I I I found statistics really interesting subject. I was one of the that's not very typical <laughs> in a psychology student, but so that that was where I was interested in most, and also the problem solving mindset and uh, the really grinding a problem part of it. I was actually when I was thinking about what I wanted to study, I was I was really you know going back and forth to all those different majors because my interests are really diverse. So that that's also one thing that really attracted me to it. And then we had this new master's program at, at Leiden University. It was at the mathematics department, so a master of mathematics and then a specialization in statistical science it was at the time. So that seemed like a really great opportunity because they took students from, from all these different backgrounds. And uh, yeah, so I applied to that and uh, it was really difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it it was because I didn't have like the background in in mathematics, and uh, so I, I was I failed really bad at like the the start of the of the program, and then in the end I I uh, like uh, when I have an interview I always say like my first grade was like four out of five, out of ten, which is really really failing, and then my last grade was ten out of ten. <laughs> so I'm 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 usually indebted to to Leiden University and that and that program because they really. Uh, taught me a lot about statistics and then I, I know that that's what I want to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, I really love your meme. I was looking at it again before we came in to, yeah. to talk to you and it made me laugh again because it's just, I mean, to me, it just feels like something so universal. Like we've all been in that space where you're just like, what is happening with all of this data? So for me, it was like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I'm with I'm with Rosemary. That was it was brilliant, and th- thanks for participating. I mean, thanks for submitting something. It's a it's it's fun to interact with people, and and uh, it's a it was such a treat when when I saw who you know saw it was who it was from. I thought, oh, great! This is this is this is cool. Right, this would be this will be fun to to chat about what what the thinking was and what led to this. So so thanks again for for doing this and for <laughs> engaging in stats and stories. Thank you. I'm glad it, it resonated with you, and uh, thank you for the invite. I'm I'm uh, really honored to be to have been part of the 200th episode, and I'm I guess many more will follow. Hopefully, let's knock on some wood. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Nika. Thank you. Our second guest is Eric Daza. Daza is a data scientist statistician who focuses on digital health. He submitted several memes to our meme median mode contest, including one that made me flashback to my first graduate <laughs> class in research methods. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. And I, and I want to ask, what made you decide to focus on correlation causation um, for this particular meme? And I was wondering if you could also describe it. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, well, uh, causal inference is really sort of core to my nerdy passions as a statistician. Uh, and so that's constantly on my mind. What made me focus on it was, uh, you know, I've been in data science and statistics practice for like 18-ish years now, and it's constantly a mistake we make. So, you know, it, it was this realization like, oh, it's a trope, it's a it's an aphorism because we keep making the same mistake. And so I was, I was thinking, why is that? Oh, it's because it's instinctive. Okay. 
And so I kind of, uh, yeah, it was like, a, that meme came to mind for me. <laughs> so the meme is of the highway and correlations in one direction and causations in the other direction. And the car is veering off the highway. Yeah. I can't remember which direction the car is going in, though. Yeah, it's going... <laughs> Let's go towards causation because that's the, that's our instinct is we want to see causation in everything. Yeah. So you want to take the cause. It looked to me, it looked like this is the exit. You want to take the cause. You want to leave the correlation highway and take the causation exit. Exactly. That's what we're kind of naturally wired to do that. Like, <laughs> you, had, you had that labeled though. You, you had that. There was like, in, was it intuition? That was the, the label on that. That sort of. Yeah. I think it was like human intuition was, was on the car and it's just like, Arr. Yeah. Yeah. What's causing you to sort of to trend in that direction? I, I didn't realize that you were causing flashbacks for Rosemary. Yeah. I, I was. A... <laughs> I just remember the the thing that came up over and over again was with my poor methods professor who was explaining to so like, you know, it's the first graduate level course we had. And there are people in there who were not going to go on and do a PhDs, but had to take the class. And he just kept stressing correlation does not equal causation. And my husband helped me with my, uh, my thesis and dissertation work. And I was sort of talking him through like some statistical stuff I was doing and was trying to explain this. And I think he now will just throw a joke at, at me when I'm talking about data or frustration around something. And he's like, well, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation. And I was like, ah, you know, so it's like this moment of like, oh, yes, yes. I felt that very, very deeply. <laughs> yeah. So you're, this was sort of resonant with with sort of your practice and statistics, but also you're you're, you're working in, in a lot of times in, in a sort of a pharma pharma context. Is that correct? Um, I used to. It's more nowadays. It's a health data science context. Okay. So it's tell adjacent. Okay. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that kind of work entails. Yeah. Sure. So that's more like um, a lot of really, if I were to sum it up, exploratory data analysis. So there's a lot of like uh, a lot of a lot of questions where we don't really know the answers. It's less much less similar to a pharma biotech context where it's like, here's a drug or a treatment and we have an idea that this might be the effect. And so we're going to design our study around that. In this case, it's more like we're not even sure how to ask the question, what the data are like. So it's really hypothesis generating. Um, and exploratory. And so those are the kinds of, uh, um, the, I think in cases like that, it's even more important, right? Because in the pharma context, correlation doesn't imply causation. It's always there, you know, that's why we do the RCT. But when you're exploratory, uh, it's a lot more nebulous. We're not quite sure. We didn't necessarily randomize something. Or if we did, we're not quite sure about the mechanism. So a little harder to parse out. I wonder what, what advice you would give to researchers as they're working on 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 their own analyses to help them sort of besides sort of the mantra correlation does not equal causation but but what can we do to make sure we don't get sort of caught in that trap because it is really easy to be like oh yes this caused this one thing and want to sort of find that kind of easy solution to something yeah um I think one thing is, uh, you know, folks talk about Simpsons Paradox. I think Simpsons Paradox has been on the on the Twitter feeds and the Twitter streams recently, recently uh, due, due to, to something, something COVID related. related. Um, but that's something to think of. I, you know, I like to bring up the example of like the ice cream doesn't cause homicide. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's because of the correlation. It's kind of a classic example. It's a nice example, but it doesn't really help people in the field because you're like, that's great. What does this look like in my data? You know? Right. Um, and that's something that's more tangible, I think would help. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued that you also have been involved in writing a blog for, 
for quite a while. So you have this, uh, you know, sort of stats of one blog. And I, I, I wanted to, to, to ask you what, what inspired that? And, and also what inspired you to partner with a, a psychologist and a computer scientist in terms of kind of framing this, this blog? Yeah, great question. The, the partnering is actually uh, fairly recent. Uh, but uh, so going back to the beginning quickly, uh, the inspiration came from uh, my work using N of one or single case methods uh, and analysis methods and design methods uh, in my postdoc. Uh, it was uh, something I came to on my own towards the end of grad school. Uh, Professor Susan Murphy came to give these, uh, she came to give these basically their keynote talks uh, at my grad school. And uh, I was inspired by them. She does a lot of work with personalizing treatments, but I also realized Geez, I'm not that great at math. Uh, this is hard stuff, but I love causal inference. But oh, there's this other adjacent field called N of one trials, which are basically crossover trials for one person. You use yourself as the baseline and you randomize yourself to different treatment levels. Uh, you know, the, they work really well when your, your outcome goes back to baseline. Anyway, I realized this is also good for uh, chronic conditions. And in fact, that's what they're used for. Um, someone very close to me has irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And so I thought, how can I use this brain and the stuff I've crammed into it uh, to sort of help out this person as much as I can? And so that was the, the genesis of it. Um, how it became a website has to do with uh, early last year, pre-pandemic, I was asked to do an Instagram takeover for a different group, a Filipino professionals in science and technology and math group. Uh, and I did it for a week and I thought, oh, there was a lot of work, but not too much work. And I pretty much had to write a blog. So why don't I turn my end of one idea into a blog? Uh, since I'm not going into a faculty position, this will sort of be like my research statement. And now it's a blog. And voila, a year and a half later, here we are. <laughs> what got you into stats in the first place? You in that in this conversation, you just mentioned that you didn't see yourself as a math person. Um, so I wonder what sort of got you into stats. Yeah, totally. Um, I started off and, and that speaks to like the difference between growth and fixed mindsets, right? That I learned about <laughs> later on. Um, but I started off as a neurobiology major. Uh, I loved it. It was great. Um, but I also realized I didn't really enjoy the actual work part, you know, so doing the lab work and all that. Um, and I, I wanted to find something different, but it was, I was at the end of my undergrad uh, I happened to take a cognitive studies class where we had to design uh, a psychological experiment and I loved it. Cognitive studies, first of all, was awesome. It's like doing magic shows as your research, <laughs> you know, fool people into thinking you're doing one thing, but you're doing another thing um, ethically, of course. But so I, I, I love that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like Stanley Milgram and some people come to mind. Um, but yeah, so so I realized during that time, like, oh man, I really like the data analysis and study design components. But it was ending, my undergrad was ending. Um, but lo and behold, my college opened up a brand new master's in applied stats. That was one year long. So I did that um, and just kind of took it from there. And the more and more I got into stats, the more it resonated with like, just things like not stats related, like, oh yeah, you know, bigger sample means you have a better idea of what's going on. Uh, it's kind of like looking at Yelp reviews or, uh, 
trying to understand, you know, a, an argument you're having with somebody else. Uh, you know, the amount of uncertainty has to do with how much knowledge you have going into it, emotional and intellectual. So all these like super nerdy things started gelling and I just got deeper and deeper into it. And now here I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I've, I've not done much with or don't know a lot about this, this uh, N of one single case methods. I mean, I, I know there have been there's literature that's very extensive on this this kind of stuff. But I, I you mentioned like IBS as one application of this, and that you're doing this in a crossover where you would be essentially individuals would be random randomly assigned to have one one sequence or another within within this. Can you talk about some other examples and and some other areas of why this is needed and when this is being used? Yeah, um, that's a good jumping off point, too, because other areas include the, the general um, use cases in health, at least, include um, chronic conditions that are highly idiosyncratic. So mm -hmm. IBS is a target case because um, there are many different triggers and symptoms. The symptoms are all fairly similar, but the triggers are varied. And one person's trigger might not be a trigger for another person, or maybe it, it helps the other person, but it hurts you. Um, so there's even um, variability in heterogeneity in the definition of the trigger, how long it takes to affect you uh, across people. So when you're in a situation like that, uh, doing an RCT uh, doesn't really yield much because there's no average effect anymore of a trigger. Um, so something like an NF1 design is really handy. Really quickly, that, that describes, so other conditions are like chronic pain and asthma. And uh, N of one trials and their cousins in psychology, single case experimental designs um, are experimental by, by nature, by definition. And that gets at your correlation doesn't imply causation because you're, you're literally causing the change. I uh, was, I'm interested in, I work on the other side where we only have passively collected data, maybe from your wearable device or from your app about your symptoms. And now we're trying to parse out correlation from causation by using causal inference methods that we use in epidemiology and political science and all these fields, I'm porting them over and saying, hey, we can treat one person as the population of repeated people over time. Now we can address confounding. So that was kind of my, my frontier move. Like I'm gonna push into that space because there's not a whole lot there. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder before we wrap up, up if you could talk you about talk what it's about been like for you to try to communicate statistical information in sort of the accessible ways. Because you mentioned the Instagram takeover, so I'm not sure exactly what that entailed. You've got your blog and now you've got the memes that you produce for our contest. And I wonder what it's been like trying to figure out how to explain sometimes complicated ideas for a, what feels like a broader population. Yeah, it's been really eye-opening because um, I'm f I when I first started, first of all, I never thought I'd, kind of like with statistics, I never thought I'd go into blogging, never thought I'd do social media stuff. Um, or or thing for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's, I in the process of doing this, of starting to write the blog, I realized I, this is like pretty natural for me, I guess, you know, like just talking to people and coming up with, Wordplay, I love wordplay. I love coming up with pithy little things just for myself to help remember as mnemonics. Uh, and it turns out this works really well uh, in a Twitter context or an Instagram context or a LinkedIn context. Um, so the challenges are, are started with at the beginning when I f wrote my first blog post, 
you know, they were like pretty technical and detailed and really tight, not super tight, but it's my academic training, right? If you're trained in, in a doctoral program to, to be really tight with your arguments. And then I started to realize, oh, the audience, they're not really gonna grill you on this as much. So you can kind of relax. And so my later blog posts are shorter, more concise, hopefully more concise. Hopefully I'm more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah the, the most pithy of them are these these like memes because uh because i yeah i so part of my background is i i did a lot of theater in college so maybe that's a giveaway uh, <laughs> okay that that explains yeah. some of <laughs> well eric thank you so much for joining us for t- today and thank you so much for participating in the contest uh it's been really great to see what everybody contributed indeed thanks a ton eric sure my pleasure thanks for having me on And we'd like to thank all of the listeners who've been continuing to listen to our conversations, pithy or otherwise, for the last 200 episodes. Uh, Before we wrap up, though, there is one more thank you we have to make. Stats and Stories co-founder Richard Campbell is stepping away from the program. Richard's been a champion of making statistical information more accessible to the broad public, as well as a supporter of efforts to help journalists become more comfortable reporting on data and stats. Importantly, he's been a nice counterbalance to John's puns and jokes so thank you richard for getting us off the ground and running and personally for convincing me that i should sign on to this yeah let me and richard's been a great a great partner and colleague and i i I certainly have cherished the time that i've both worked taught and then podcasted with richard and he's been a, a delightful friend and and partner in this process and bringing it rosemary on was one of one of his his great insights too stats and stories is a partnership between miami university's departments of statistics and media journalism and film and the american statistical association you can follow us on twitter apple podcast or other places where you find podcast if you'd like to share your thoughts on the program send your email to stats and stories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. Also, for the latest news related to the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories. Be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.